We are continuing Impact this Sunday, and we get to hear a message uh, from one of our longest-term partners, Foster the City. Uh, because of your generosity, uh, we not only last week got to host an awesome toy shop downstairs where uh, up to 100 foster families could come shop for their kids, uh, but we actually partnered with them at $15,000 this past year, uh, doing incredible work, and so uh, their founder wanted to say a message to the Current family, uh, which we can watch now. Hey, Current SV, my name is Philip, and I lead Foster the City. Uh, we're a movement of churches working together to provide loving homes for kids that are entering into foster care. I wanted to take a minute to just to personally say thank you for your partnership. Current has been raising up foster parents, you've been raising up support for foster families, and if that weren't enough, you've been giving generously to help move this vision forward. I want to say thank you. Your generosity has already helped us to see hundreds and hundreds of children find love and care and welcome in Foster the City Homes. I could tell you so many stories about how your generosity is making an impact, but let me share with you something that just happened the other day. Our team got a phone call. It was from one of the local county agencies. Uh, they said, we have eight babies in the hospital right now in, in desperate need of a loving home. They said, do you think that there are Foster the City families out there that would consider opening their hearts and their homes to these kids? It is so encouraging to me that there are agencies out there that long to work with churches to address needs like this. It's even more encouraging that there are churches like yours that are ready to stand up and say yes. And let me tell you what could happen if we do stand up and say yes. You know, in recent years, we've discovered a whole lot about what happens in the, the heart and the mind of a child at the very earliest of ages. Neuroscientists call this attachment theory. For example, if a, if a child cries, if a child reaches out in need, and that need is met by a caregiver, by a mother, by a father, th that need is met and that caregiver comes and maybe picks up that child and brings them warmth, or brings them comfort, or maybe feeds that child or rocks that child back to sleep. There's some things that are firing off in that child's mind. They're learning, I'm loved. They're learning, uh, I matter, I must be valuable. And then finally, they're learning um, there's someone outside of myself that I can trust. Friends, it's one of the greatest gifts of my life, watching the way families and, and churches like yours have been moving towards vulnerable children and families and affirming for them what is true. Children just like these eight babies in that hospital and affirm to them what is true. You are loved, you do matter, and there are people that you can trust and ultimately there is a God that you can trust. Your generosity is making this possible. I want you to know that as you give to Current, your generosity is directly linked to the lives of vulnerable children and families. Thank you again for your partnership. Thank you again for being the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I want you to know that as you give to Current, together we're gonna to be able to help more children and more families experience the love and the care and the welcome that they deserve. All right. Hey, well, good morning, everybody, and how happy almost Christmas to you. Man, wasn't it fun to hear from Philip there? Uh, Philip, if you're listening or you hear this at some point, thank you for putting that together. We're grateful. Uh, you know what? One of the fun things we love to say here at Current is we love to get to give, and one of our values is to be authentic, so we, we don't want to say something just for, just for the sake of being gimmicky. That could sound like a gimmicky phrase, we get to give, but when you think about giving to organizations and ministries like 
those helping foster children. It really is a privilege that we get to give to help them meet tangible needs and spiritual needs in the community. Um, We've had uh, the privilege of having a couple uh, organizations we've partnered with up over the last few weeks. We had Love Never Fails, which is combating human trafficking in the Bay Area. We had uh, last week We Hope, uh, who have been helping uh, the homeless in the East Palo Alto area. Uh, wasn't last weekend fun when we did the gift wrapping and all that sort of thing? That was, that was really fun. Yeah, exciting. Really fun piece of news, by the way. Uh, one of the leaders uh, from her interaction uh, with, with Current specifically, uh, she was saying to the organization that she works for, uh, not a Christian herself, she said, because of the, quote, generosity of Current that she's seen here, she has never celebrated Christmas before, but plans to now. And if that isn't a glimpse of the vision coming to life, I don't know what is. But thank you. Yeah, amen. Amen. Wanted to do a bit of an update for you on, when it comes to impact. Our goal, if you, had, if you came in, you saw it on your sheet, is to uh, raise uh, $200,000. We're hoping to raise uh, this year uh, to give in, impact in uh, 2024. Um, and uh, right now we're at 24% of that goal, so we're excited about that. It's still relatively early on. But would you join with us in praying that the Lord would move in our hearts as a church to give generously in the community? 100% of what is given to Impact goes beyond the walls of current to help meet local and global ministries' needs as they meet tangible needs and spiritual needs. So would encourage you towards that. There's ways to give that you can find on this sheet. Uh, and um, yeah, 2024 is going to be a good year. Uh, let me highlight real quick our amazing teams today. Uh, when I came this morning, there was no internet, and when I came, the sound wasn't running until probably about 20 minutes before 10 o'clock, and the team was working frantically. I was told, we're probably not going to get internet, we're probably not going to have, uh, you know, the video be able to play, we're probably going to be completely analog, and yet I was, I just texted Cindy, who's watching online, she said, it's a Christmas miracle, it's working. <laughs> Most of you have no clue that that happened, given how everything's going, but can we thank the teams? Can we give them a big round of applause? He hates to be called out, but John over here did a phenomenal job helping the teams get the sound up and running the band. You guys are phenomenal. We love you guys. Thank you. Tech team. Portable church problems. Uh, one of our leaders came over when it was all frantic and we're all like losing our minds. He said, remember, there was no, in, there was no room in the inn for Jesus. So we're, we're excited about that. Let me say a prayer and then we'll get into uh, God's word. Father, what a great day to be in your presence. Oh, so wonderful singing, Oh Holy Night. We, we love that we were able to amplify it and hear, hear the, the, the power of that. But really, Lord, the power of that song is in what it is singing about, your goodness, your love, and sending your son into this world. Oh, what a holy night that God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Lord, we, there's a lot of wonderful things to celebrate, Christmas, holiday season, but we, we don't want to forget the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Father, as we turn to your word now and consider these things, would you, as ever, fill us with your spirit? Or we long to be touched by what it is you have in front of us today. I pray that you would even help me get out of the way. But you would speak through your word, through your message, to touch each of us where we are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you would like a Bible, that is a physical Bible, to follow along, you can raise your hand now. The usher team will see that and get a physical Bible to you. Uh, You can put that on your seat and leave it there, and they'll pick it up on the way out. Or if you don't have a Bible, keep it. We'd love to gift you a Bible. But if you want to follow along with a physical Bible, raise your hand. Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What's the greatest gift you've ever received? You know, it's Christmas time, so if you think about it in that sense, like what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Uh, for me, uh, this is probably not the greatest ever, but it was the first thing that came to my mind, and as I thought about it more and more, I was like, oh, man, uh, relative to my age, that was a wonderful gift. Uh, my parents one year, about third grade, got me a BMX-type bike. I say type because we couldn't afford the, the BMX brand. <laughs> got generic, but I loved that thing. I, remember, I still remember opening it up, how, black, how shiny it was. And I was just like, I get to ride that thing. I was still learning how to ride a bike, so it was just going to be. And you better believe I was out with my buddies just riding around the neighborhood. We were making those ramps, getting sick air. I'm talking a couple inches. You know what I mean? I love that thing. The joy that it brought me, the memories that it brought me. I mean, even just the fact of the joy it would give me in thinking about using it while I wasn't using it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was a, that was a wonderful gift. What, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Now, what's the greatest gift you could receive right now? And by that, I'm not just saying what could fit under a Christmas tree, you know, or just limited to like a material possession. But like what, if you could have anything right now, what would be the greatest gift you could receive right now? I imagine many of us would probably say a home with a decent mortgage, you know. <laughs> David doesn't have to be crazy. The mortgage doesn't even be nuts, but just, just something in the, in the realm of pretending to be affordable. Like, that would be my gift, okay? Maybe some of you are like, man, that job promotion I've been working for. Or just a new job altogether. I don't know what it would be, but I'd love to just do something else. Or maybe for some of you, it would be finding that special someone. You'd, you'd love to start raising a family. Maybe it's the ability to raise a family. There's all these things that we can think about when it comes to the greatest gift that we could have right now. Uh, my brother-in-law, who's a number of years older than I am, because my oldest sister is a number of years older than I am, uh, he used to say every so often when the family was like talking about things and maybe there's disagreement or we're working out an issue, or, he would just say facetiously out of nowhere, boy, if we could just win the lottery, all our problems would go away. <laughs> and I remember even at just a real young age, real young age, I just think, boy, that sounds really interesting, but I'm not sure that's true. I mean, he was saying it facetiously, but I would just think about it literally later on. I'd be like, man, if we won all the money from the lottery, would our problems go away? I don't think they would. You know, I just, if you think about this, like if you could receive any gift right now, any gift, what would that be? And do you think it would live up to your ultimate sense of expectations towards that gift? Uh, the wonderful thing about the text that we're looking at today is Jesus says that he and he alone is the enduring gift. He and his kingdom is, is, is the gift of greatest value, and it's not even close. Nothing even comes close in comparison. He gives us these two parables. One of this man, this farmer, who finds a treasure in the field. But then one of this uh, merchant who is out looking about and comes across a pearl, a pearl that he deems 
is of such great value that he's willing to sell off all the other pearls in order to get a pearl of greatest value. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that. And it struck me this week, I, you know, I've, this is a familiar parable to me. I've thought about it a lot down the years. But I never really considered how it's interesting that this merchant who, all, who had to have been in the business of knowing the value of pearls, this pearl-seeking merchant, would have known the value of all the pearls. I mean, you ever watch like a reality pawn shop type show? Like they know the value of everything. That's their business, right? So here's this pearl-seeking merchant who comes across a pearl and instantly knows it's of such value that all the other pearls cannot compare. In fact, he's willing to sell all of his other pearls and all the value that comes with all those pearls in order to get this one pearl. And that's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like. It's of such great value and it's it's not even close. Um, There's a lot of wonderful pearls in this world. There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful things, wonderful gifts that are frankly of God is where their their true and ultimate source are from. But none of these pearls, none of the wonderful things that life has in this sense can compare to the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying. How can that be? We were at an an alpha group uh, not too long ago, and someone who is really new in their faith said something I thought was of, 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 uh, of great profound importance. He was talking about how he's like, you know, when you think about the gospel and what it means of God's love for us, and you compare it to all these other things, we seek, we seek out love in the world. So in the, in the love of another person, love of the family, or love in a job, or you name it. When you think about it, all of those things can only love us conditionally, he said. But that's what's unique about God's love. God's love is unconditional. He's the only one who can love us unconditionally. I was sitting there thinking about it. I was just like, man, this guy's new in his faith, but he's exactly right. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of God is is the pearl of greatest value. Nothing comes even close in comparison because he and he alone can love us unconditionally. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, which is synonymous in the scriptures when Jesus is talking about different things. The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the gospel or literally what's known as the good news. And in this good news, we remember it Every Christmas time, in the sense of God, the Son, took on flesh and lived among us. And why did he do that? Well, ultimately to help us back into relationship with God. That's the whole point. He didn't just come to, to live among us, teach us some wonderful lessons. He came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life, and he died the death in order to offer forgiveness of sins. He died to take care of our sins, It's the Bible's way of talking about all the things that we do wrong that are outside of God's design for us. You know, all the things that we do out of selfishness, impatience, greed, lust. I mean, you name it, the list just goes on and on. Things that we do that we don't need the Bible to help help us understand bring a lot of pain and hurt into the world, including those people closest to us, those whom we love the most. Jesus came into this world to... Take that sin upon himself on the cross to die for us. Uh, that's what we remember. That's the, that's the kingdom of God made, made plain to us, made available. I had someone in my office this week, and about at this point in our conversation, we were talking about the gospel. He said, wait a minute, is it really just about accepting Jesus alone? I said, yes, it is. But what about these other things we need to, okay, hey, it's not to say that 
Receiving Christ doesn't come with implications of what it means. We need to understand our sinfulness, our need for outside help. We need to understand that if we put our faith in him, we need to follow him. But those are implications of it. Yes, we do really just receive what he and he alone has done for us. That's the kingdom of God made available to us. That's the gospel, the good news that you can receive today. And it means we're brought back into a right relationship with him. That's why Jesus elsewhere says, I have come to give life and life to the fullest. Look, this kingdom of heaven that's like this pearl of greatest price is not just something we receive off in the next life, as wonderful that is, that is going to be. It's something we receive here and now and start living from now. It's the kingdom of heaven made available to us right now, his love, his peace, his unconditional love. And the way I like to think about it is it's like an anchor for our souls. I mean, how is this the greatest gift of all? Well, it's like an anchor to our souls. I like to sail, and I always have thought that the anchoring system in sailing is one of the coolest things. I mean, it's just such a cool invention. Because sailboats will, will cast down their anchor, of course, that'll, that'll embed itself into the seabed, seafloor, and then the line will secure, it to the, will secure the boat to it, right? But the amazing thing about anchors, of course, is not that during the storm, when the wind and waves pick up, uh, that you will not feel any of that. No, the anchor just means that you're going to stay secure in the midst of all of that. You're going to feel the waves. You're going to feel the wind. You're going to do some rocking back and forth. But if an anchor's doing its job, which they do remarkably well, it's going to hold you secure. And in an infinitely greater way, the kingdom of God, when we receive Jesus, anchors our souls such that no matter what comes out of our life, whether we get that pearl or gift that we really want or we don't, he will keep us he will keep us secure in his life. You know, I just was thinking about this like lottery thing that my brother-in-law, I don't know why I was just thinking about this week, but just having a meta thought in my office. But, you know, this whole idea of, man, if we could just win the lottery, then we'd, then it'd solve all our problems, right? We don't need the data that shows us that the vast majority of people who win the lottery doesn't actually go so well for them. I mean, you knew that, right? But let's say you won the lottery and you just somehow, somehow happened to not be that person, right? You happen to be like, okay, I'm going to do wise, I'm going to invest, I'm going to do all this sort of stuff. And you didn't, you weren't, you're not that statistic. Even still, if we win the lottery, we get all the possessions we could in this life, they will still only be of this life. That's why Jesus said, I have come to bring the kingdom of heaven so that you can have something outside of this life, no matter what comes at you in this life, where you will remain secure. Jesus is the enduring gift. He alone is, is, the, is the pearl of greatest price, the, the greatest gift. And so it follows that he's worth selling everything for. Jesus and his kingdom is worth selling everything for. That's, that's, of course, what he's highlighting here when he says, the man in the field who found the treasure, verse 44, as well as the merchant who found the pearl of greatest uh, price, verse 45, they each, quote, went away and sold everything they had to get it. So Jesus and his kingdom has ultimate security, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, even in face of things that are challenging in this life. He alone is the enduring gift. So therefore, Jesus says, everything else is worth selling in order to obtain that. Uh, when I was in, uh, a teenager, my dad gave me a book called The Disciple. It's a wonderful book. I'm not sure it's still in print. It's written by uh, Pastor Juan Carlos Ortiz out of Argentina. Uh, he served there for many decades. He wrote uh, a book called Disciple that I thought was a handbook for, for, a handbook for new believers that was so uh, meaningful to me and so well written that I still remember a lot of its examples and illustrations uh, today. So if, if you would, I'm actually going to do a little bit of story time and read you uh, a little text that where, where Pastor Juan Carlos talks about this very thing, and he does it in such an insightful, witty way that I just would rather just read it instead of recounting it myself. 
He said this, when we find Jesus, it costs us everything. He has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity, everything. So we say, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says, it's very expensive. But how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Oh, of course. Everyone can buy it. But didn't you just say it's very expensive? Yes. Well, how much is it? Everything you have, says the seller. We make up our minds. All right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have? He wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else? That's all. That's all I have. Nothing more? Well, I have a few dollars in my pocket. How much? We start digging. Well, let's see. 30, 40, 60, 100, $120. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, nothing. That's all. Where do you live? He's still probing. In my house. Yes, I have a house. The house then, too. He writes that down. You mean I have to live in my camper? You have a camper? That, too. <laughs> what else? I'll have to sleep in my car. You have a car? Two of them. Both of them are mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you already have my money, my house, my camper, my cars. What more do you want from me? Are you alone in this world? No, I have my family. Oh, yes, them too. What else? I have nothing left. I am left alone now. Suddenly, the seller exclaims, oh, I almost forgot. You, you yourself too. Everything becomes mine. Family, money, house, cars, and you too. Then he goes on, now listen. I will allow you to use all these things for the time being, but don't forget that they are mine just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up because now I am the owner. Uh, he was telling the story, and then he said that he was teaching this pastor of Juan Carlos to his church in Argentina. He said the craziest thing happened. Like the, it just cut to the people's heart of his church, just many hundreds, if not thousands, of, of person church such that people came, started to come up to him and the elders of the church saying, here, here, uh, let me give you the lease to my car. Let me give you the lease to my, my condo, my apartment. This is God's, not ours. Such to the degree that Pastor Juan Carlos was like, oh, no, did we mess up? Like, I don't know, did we, he didn't want to like, he wasn't, he wasn't some prosperity preaching televangelist, right? He wasn't trying to make something weird out of this, but he was like, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. So they thought about it, they prayed about it, they went back to everybody in the church and said, hey, we're going to give you guys back your lease to cars, lease to apartments, because at the end of the day, these are all gods. And so when there's a need that arises, remember that when that need arises, that it's no longer yours. You don't see it as such. Your car, your, your house, your, your possessions, those are all the Lord. So when, when a need comes and he wants to meet needs through you, you're not going to have to ask whether or not I should do it. Yeah, it's, it's already his anyways. When we follow Jesus, he's not, he's not just our savior, he is our king. The kingdom of heaven means we come into his kingdom and we follow him as king, which means everything we have becomes his. And guess what? That is wonderful. Because we might be thinking right now, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a great deal. I'd rather hold on to these other things. I like these other pearls I have. Why would I give these other wonderful pearls in order to get the pearl of kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure that sounds like a good deal, Jesus. But if we're thinking that way, we're not truly understanding what Jesus says, because Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. This is, the kingdom of heaven is a pearl of such great value, it's worth giving all the pearls and then some in order to get. Wait a minute, how can that be? Let me give you an example. So from time to time, 
folks who are new in their faith or considering whether they're going to put their faith in Jesus or work that out, maybe when it comes time for them to be baptized, from time to time, I will hear someone say to me, Pastor, I'm not sure I can do this or want to do this because, oh, my fam- what, what will my family think when they find out that I'm Christian? My heart always meets them there because they're counting the cost. It's something worth, worth doing. I can't be baptized because I'm going to go public with it and then they're going to know and then I'm not sure. It's always accompanied with the, the sentiment and I, I don't want to do anything unloving towards my parents. But guess what? The king loves your parents infinitely more than you or I ever could. He calls you to honor them, love them, serve them, care for them. And sometimes the greatest way we can love them is pointing them to him. Might not be always the easiest path. Look, Cindy and I now have any number of friends who that was their story. They decided to go ahead and be baptized, say, and then since I'm telling you, it's hard to work out with their parents. And it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing right away. Sometimes it actually is quite easy. But let's say it's not quite the easiest thing, but, but then speed the the tape up a little bit, years later, decades later, now they look back and like, oh my goodness, my parents have come to faith in Jesus. I'm so glad I did that. That was the most loving thing I could do. I was pointing them to Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we don't just follow him as Savior, we follow him as, as king. He becomes everything to us. He is the greatest gift. No other pearl is worth clutching, holding on tight in comparison to him. Jesus loves you and me so much that he gave his son in order for us to come into his kingdom. So the question then becomes, are you following him, followers of his, are you following him as king? Are you following him as as king? Is he he the king of your life? Is he the pearl of greatest price? I am currently reading a biography uh, about the life of the now late Timothy Keller, uh, pastor and author. Uh, Other than my dad has probably influenced the way I think about church ministry uh, than anybody else. And uh, Cindy and I attended his church from afar for a couple of years, and he's just an incredible, incredible guy, incredible figure. I've just read a lot of his books. But in this biography, they're talking about ways in which he was influenced, like who influenced him in terms of his thinking, in terms of his preaching, and all the, all the rest of it. And at one point, they talk about how this gal named Barbara Boyd, a leader out of uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a, a, a college campus ministry organization that's on many campuses. Tim, Tim, Tim Keller credits Barbara Boyd with being the person who taught him how to interpret the Bible. And at one point, he's retelling this story of how he was at a conference, and she was giving a talk there back in 1973 that he, he still remembered towards the end of his life. A Christian conference that was, was for Christian students Uh, Listen to how he recalls this. I'm just going to read it for you. That was the day she looked at us. And she said something like, if you want to invite me into your house and you say, come in, Barbara, stay out, Boyd, I wouldn't know what to do because I'm Barbara Boyd. In fact, I couldn't even say this half is Barbara and this half is Boyd, so I'll just bring this half in because I'm all Barbara and all Boyd. I'm both. So you either get me all or you get neither of me. Then she turned around and said, said this, if you say, I would like the loving Jesus, I would like the helping Jesus, I would like the Jesus I can ask to help me through the hard times, but I don't want the holy Jesus, I don't want the powerful Jesus, I don't want the Jesus who is great, you get no Jesus at all. She said, think about this for a minute. If the distance between the earth and the sun was the thickness of a piece of paper, if the 96 million miles between the earth and the sun was the thickness of a single piece of paper, do you realize the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high? 
Just the diameter of our little galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high, and our little galaxy is just a speck in the universe. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ holds the universe together with the word of his power. She said, Jesus Christ holds the universe together with his pinky. Then she looked at us, smiled, and said, do you ask somebody like that into your life to be your assistant? Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is also our King. But I think if we're real about it, a lot of us who are Christian, been following from, from, for many years, we would say, yeah, he's the pearl of greatest price. He and his kingdom, absolutely, he's the gift of all gifts. But the reality is we're clutching other pearls, wouldn't you say? Wonderful pearls that God probably even cares about in your life, but we're clutching them over and beyond the pearl of greatest price. We haven't, we haven't given them to him. When Jesus is in our life, he becomes the king. He's the one who sits on the throne of our life. It's like, you know, in the medieval times when they thought that the sun revolved around the earth. A lot of us Christians, we can think that God revolves around us, but that's not how it works. We enter into his kingdom. He's the king. And the only time that we are clutching pearls, it, it, seems, to be, it seems to me we're, we're thinking that this king is withholding, withholding things from us, that he's withholding love, but this king loves you so much that even if you think he's withholding, he's not. And his kingdom, this king, is worth selling all other pearls for the sake of getting and living in. Um, I have a confession to make. Here I am preaching this text. As faithfully as I can try to do, and I hope, hope I've been doing that. I think, I think I've been trying to stay as close to the text as possible. But you know what's interesting is a lot of Bible scholars say that the force of this text is not actually the way I've been teaching it. What do I mean by that? They say, sure, yeah, you should teach this text in terms of its application in the sense that this guy who is looking for, or who's out in the field, who came across this treasure, and this merchant who came across this pearl, is us, and we come across Jesus and his kingdom, and we need to sell all our pearls for him. Sure, that's a good point of application, but that's not the main thrust of this parable. Bible scholars say, actually, the main thrust of this parable is this is what Jesus did for you and me. We're talking about how he is the enduring gift. Well, Jesus looks at you when you're a follower of his as his enduring gift. He looks at you as, as his treasure. He looks at you as his pearl of greatest price that he sold everything for. That's the Christmas story. Jesus didn't sell everything just to the tune of coming in and living in this broken world among us. He ultimately gave up the throne in order to go to the cross, to die for your sins and mine. He went there that he didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. The kingdom of heaven is here because Christ, our king, came to die for us, die for you, because you are his enduring gift. You are his pearl of greatest price. That he would even give up eternity with his father on the cross for the sake of bringing you into the family. And let me ask you a question. If, if your king did that for you, don't you think he's not going to withhold any love from you? But so often we don't follow him as king. I'm guilty of this, just so you know. We so often... Clutch these other pearls. It's not to say that these pearls are in, in and of themselves bad, but sometimes if we're overly clutching them, if we've made them the pearl of greatest price, we're missing out on the love of God that he offers us so freely in Christ. He's given everything for you. Are you following the king? One of the things, so I've been highlighting the first parable, which is the merchant who looked after the, 
who found that pearl of greatest price. But there's also the, the farmer guy who's out in the field who came across the treasure. What I believe that parable teaches us is that God and his kingdom often come upon us in unexpected ways. So back in the day, uh, you know, they didn't have banks, right? And life expectancy was quite, life expectancy was quite short. A lot of guys would go out to, to, to fight in wars and all the rest of it. And so what happened back in that day, everybody would have understood this as Jesus talking, is people would go off and hide their treasure out in the field somewhere, right? So that after the war or whatever, if they happened to survive it, many of them didn't, they would be able to come and find it. So that you could imagine they were very good at hiding these things. This is their life savings, whatever it might be. But it just meant, people who've done the research, know that there's just lots of treasures just out there. And one guy in particular did the research to the degree of like, you know, they hid it so well that it would be, the likelihood of coming across one would be like 1,000 lifetimes worth of like the probability of coming across. Well, Jesus is telling the story. He's saying the guy who's out there, he's just farming up some new land, tilling it, out doing his thing with the plowshare. And as he was out there, just do-do-do, all of a sudden, his plowshare hits something. Maybe there's a little clink. It's like, what's that? Looks down. He's like, what? Is that, a, is that a shiny thing? Looks down, pulls it up. It's a little box. Wait, what's, what is this? Opens it up. Treasure beyond measure. God and his kingdom often meets us in unexpected places when we're not expecting it. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, Christ is reaching out to you. His kingdom is available to you. You might be here and you don't know how you ended up here. I don't even know what I'm doing in church. Maybe that's been the last few weeks. You just keep coming back. I don't know. It reminds me of somebody who shared at a recent uh, uh, Explore God group. I loved it. They asked the question, well, how do we know, how do we know God is pursuing us? And without beating up, missing a beat, one of the other guys in the group said, well, you're here, aren't you? And he said it was so much conviction and love that I was like, where is this going? This is interesting. How can we know God's pursuing? Well, you're here, aren't you? And then he went on to tell the story of how God, just through seemingly coincidence after coincidence, led him to be a part of church, hear the gospel, receive Christ, be baptized. The story of how he ended up current is just nuts. We're just listening to that whole story. I'm just going like, that's crazy. And then we figure out that the thread goes further back because the other guy who happens just to be sitting next to him happened to come to current over a coincidence of themselves. And actually, all those threads lean back to the gal coming for the first time and hearing about Jesus. And we're like, whoa. God and his kingdom, Jesus and his kingdom, often meet us in unexpected ways. It's not like we're just out there like, i got to figure this out. Sometimes the Lord meets you there. But Jesus said elsewhere, today is the day of salvation. Will you receive him? You can receive him right now. You might just end it up here. You don't know how. But the words of life are still the words of life. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest gift, the pearl of great price that you can receive. And what does it mean to receive him? It means saying, Lord, forgive me my sins. I recognize that I, I missed the mark. I don't live the life you call me to, and I want to receive what Christ did for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. I believe I received that. Period, full stop. That's how you enter into the kingdom. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. And that's you today. I'd encourage you to make a little note of it on your connection card. We'd love to see it. It could be a little tangible stake in the ground for you. We'll see it, pray for you. It could be come alongside you, resource you if you're, if you're comfortable. If not, that's fine too. But then for those of you who are followers of Jesus, God often meets you and me in unexpected ways. It's not just when we get up in the morning necessarily and read the Bible, if we remember to. Or when we happen to think and remember to pray. God meets us in, in 
often in the unexpected ways. I had the privilege and opportunity to uh, speak to some church planners recently, and I was sharing with them what I was trying to be quite vulnerable with them, a time in which early on in the life of, of current, after a Sunday, when three people had put their faith in Jesus. And if you've, you've heard me talk about this before, you know we regularly say we would have started current for any one person putting their faith in Jesus. The kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's eternity, okay? Three people indicated first-time faith decisions. Wonderful. That's exciting. And yet I got home later that day, sat down on my recliner, and I was upset. I was frustrated. I was even a little angry. And God met me in an unexpected way in that recliner on that day because I was confronted with the fact that three people had put their faith in Jesus. It was as if the Lord was saying, hey, David, haven't you been saying that you do this all for one? <laughs> Why are you upset? Why are you frustrated? Why are you angry? And I had to go, oh, darn it. Why am I angry? And I realized, I didn't have to think too hard because I realized it. The pearls that I had been clutching over the king and his kingdom were things like my comfort. Some of you know my story. My body was giving out. I was almost to the point where I was going to be bedridden because of like this arthritis that was spreading in my body. I was just, just like, it's, uh. I realized in that moment, I'll be real with you, through a little bit of tears, unexpectedly, the Lord's like, hey, I love you there too. I'll take care of you, but do you see that my kingdom's advancing? Isn't that what you're all about? And, and when I, why I share this story to you is it's in the, often in the unexpected places that God especially wants to meet you and me. Because it's often in the unexpected places where we're actually, if anything, we're still clutching to these pearls. If I could just get that job. If I could just get that home with a decent mortgage. If I could just start that family. If I could just... If my health would just start to rebound or at least just not deteriorate the speed it's deteriorating. All these things that the Lord cares about. But in Christ and his kingdom, all those things fade away because he's, he's the pearl of greatest price. I mean, even when we face death itself, the kingdom of heaven will only usher us into the presence of Christ. Even death itself. I mean, I talk about if you're facing death, the greatest gift to anybody, I don't care who you are, is going to be that that would go away. But guess what? When in, that does come, the kingdom of heaven, all it does is anchor us into the presence of Christ. He, is, he, is, he and our king and his kingdom are worth selling all other pearls to get. Are you following Jesus as king? And the second, second question I'll ask you as we wrap up here is a correlation to it, corollary to everything we've talked about. Are you making him known? If you, if you know Christ, if you've received him as king, are you, making his, are you making this king and his kingdom known? And what might that look like for you? Remember, Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is, starts with, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your kingdom. It's your, ki your kingdom. I want to be about you and what you're doing. Even if I'm missing that today, God, help me see what it is. And at bare minimum, that has to mean helping people see that the king loves them too, and they, all they have to do is receive him. That's what we want to be about as a church. Look, if Jesus, our, our heavenly king, gave up everything, including his life, in order to bring, bring us into his family, we could probably invite some people to church or come to church or have a wonderful team that goes through all the effort today to make church happen. Thank you, guys. But guess what? It's not about our efforts. It's that we just get to set the table for Jesus and his kingdom to come. 
That's what we're about. And hey, we have a lot of opportunity this holiday season, this Christmas season, to do that. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Can you bring somebody on Sunday? Those of you guys are here in the area. Can you invite somebody? We can't, we can't control the, the response. But we can't control the invite. Some of you guys are, are doing an awesome job on social media. That's not an area of strength for me. We've been seeing God use social media. It's pretty incredible. Some of you are here today because of social media. I, Recently, somebody was out and about wearing the current shirt. Actually, yeah, we heard this week. That led to a gospel conversation. What are ways we can make this king and his kingdom known? Uh, such a privilege to get to do this with you guys. There's so many wonderful opportunities. Uh, as we celebrate Christmas, may the Lord be with you guys, be with your families. Uh, bring the pearls, the hardships to your loving king. He cares for you, but remember that he is the pearl of greatest price. You receive him. You can live more deeply in him and receive that life and love that he offers you today. And let's be thinking about ways that we can make this king and his kingdom known. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the enduring gift of Christ, which ultimately is that you made us your enduring gift. Who are we that you would treasure us? Who are are we that you would seek us as the pearl of greatest price? Lord, sinners, broken people in rebellion towards you. And yet you loved us so much, you came into this world for us. And ultimately died in our place if we would receive you by faith. We say thank you. Christ our King is whom we worship. Father, forgive us, forgive me, forgive all of us how we clutch at other pearls when the greatest pearl, you and your kingdom, is made available to us. And I I pray for those who are going through things right now, especially challenging hardship, things that they really care about, experiencing a lot of pain, hurt. Father, you meet them there, you meet us there, but Father, would they receive the ultimate peace and love and security that you you alone bring. And Father, would you help us as a church make you our king and your kingdom known to those around us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.